Good morning. The reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 3, and we're reading from verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Hello? I'm going to ditch this then. We're going uh, old school here. One second. Okay. Okay, cool. We should nearly do like a fresh start for the podcast. Let's see, you won't even know. Hey, uh, good morning, everyone. How's everyone? Uh, my name is Jonathan. <laughs> um, now, today, uh, today we'll feel uh, quite strange for uh, loads of us um, because we're missing some brothers and sisters. Um, it's, it's a, I think you just need to uh, say at the beginning that there's a little bit of like pain today, a little bit of sadness because there's, there's some really... There's some people I really love that I've really grown with over the years that aren't going to be here every single Sunday anymore. And I think you just need to be okay with that. Like, it's going to be a little bit different. Um, I will say this, that I think you're going to be tempted by Satan to, to turn this onto yourself, um, to, to start to, to think um, how this is about you and how this affects you. I miss some people. This is, this is a little bit different. Things, are, things feel a little bit different. Um, let me just, we just need to say that that's going to be a temptation for you and to say that we're going to depend on Jesus. We're going to keep having faith in him, that he's the one that's building his church, that um, today here in East Belfast, that over on Hay Park Avenue, that none of that depends on us, that really none of that is even for us. That, that we're here, we gather together, not because of, uh, of us or because this is a nice place to be for us, but because Jesus has brought us together, that he's, he's working his will throughout Belfast and he's using us to do it. Um, we live a very short life. We, we were in the book of Ecclesiastes not long ago, and if anything we learned from Ecclesiastes is that life is, is kind of meaningless in, in the sense that it's fleeting that everything under the sun is just here. It's this cycle that comes and goes, and that's us. That this, this, this life is not, doesn't surround, doesn't revolve around us. That our church revolves around Jesus, and, and we're going to continue to, to operate that way. Um, I'm really excited about, um, about some of the empty seats to see what the Lord's going to do. Uh, leaders the Lord's going to raise up. Um, he's going to continue to build his church. We're going to continue to just kind of rest in his promises in that. So, um, yeah, as Nick said, it's cool that Andrew's probably on that stage right now, uh, probably saying some of the same things, opening up uh, uh, the word. Um, we're just going to keep, keep doing that and keep multiplying. So um, it's amazing. Um, do continue to pray for Lucas tomorrow um, as, he, as he begins his treatment. Um, the next, uh, yeah, few months for us uh, is just going to, uh, we're just going to take it a day at a time and, and uh, see how we get on. Pray for him. Pray, pray for us. Uh, as, as a leadership here at Village that, um, um, yeah, just the Lord's going to uh, have his will with us and um, we're just going to keep trucking on. Can I pray again? Actually, let me, our passage is so short, let me read it again and then I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to dive in. So again, Ephesians 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power 
through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Not to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you for what you have done with us. We thank you that you, um, that you have chosen us before the foundations of the earth, Lord. We thank you that you have raised us from death to life. We thank you for uh, what you have decided to, uh, to, to set forth here, here in Belfast. Uh, we do recognize that none of this hinges on us. Today doesn't hinge on how good this sermon is. Today doesn't hinge on, on how good the music is. Today hinges on what you've done for us, and we rest in that. We thank you, Jesus, that you have promised to not leave us as orphans. For some reason, that feels uh, extra comforting today, Lord, that a little bit of unknown, a little bit of, uh, of uh, this gospel goodbye pain, Lord, but you have promised to not leave us as orphans. You've promised to, to be with us, to guide us, to lead us, to be the one who, who supplies the power. So we rest in that. Spirit, we ask you again for help. We ask you to, to, to take the veil off of our hearts, off of our eyes right now, Lord. Illuminate your scriptures, Lord. We need you. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, I love, I love the Paul, uh, Paul's prayer here. Um, so this is, um, it's not just one of, I'm sure uh, Paul prayed a lot in his life, and this isn't just one of the many prayers that Paul prayed. Um, this, this is an inspired prayer. Um, so we believe that, that the Bible is, is a living, breathing. It's, it's the word of God. It's been breathed out by him. Second Timothy tells us that, that all scripture is breathed out by God. So this prayer is, is God's prayer. It's inspired by him. It, it's breathed out, given kind of through Paul, and it's for us. This prayer is, is for us sitting in this room right now. Um, and the content is basically this, that, that we would experience God, his love for us in, in Christ, and the power of his truth. Okay, that we'd experience the power and the love and the truth of God. Um, and there, there's something else that, that we need to realize, that this isn't just a prayer for us, that God would do something for us. It, it's also an example for us. It, it, it actually teaches us how to pray. So, so uh, one of the things about prayer is it tends to reveal what's inside our hearts. So what I mean by that is um, you've probably experienced this where you've, you, you've prayed in a group setting, and you can nearly tell what's in a person's heart by the way they pray. You can tell if they're kind of consumed with, with their needs, with themselves, or if they're consumed with, with Christ. So when you're consumed by your own needs, uh, you're praying, you're, you're, but all of your prayers kind of revolve around what you need um, which is okay, prayer is, prayer is asking God for need, but there's never really, you don't really end up with that adoration, with that thanksgiving. Um, if, you're, if, you're, uh, if someone is Christ-centered, then all their prayers uh, revolve around his glory. They revolve around his honor rather than ours. Um, and I think one of the reasons why we pray amiss so often or, or why we sometimes feel clumsy in our prayer life or sometimes feel lost or like, I don't really know what to pray um, I, I think one of the reasons is, is because we, we forget to pray in accord with the prayers in Scripture. So we, we so often, we, we want to be, have a good prayer life. We, we, we know we should pray. We know we should cry out. But we tend to, like, just going to conjure up what, what's inside and, and, and try to figure it out. That's not what you're called to. Um, Paul would say it's, 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 nothing's based on your wisdom. And we have an entire a book in scripture called Psalms that teaches us how to pray. And all throughout scripture, we have these, these other like separate prayers that, that are examples for us of how to pray. 
So my goal for this morning is really twofold. Um, firstly, that, that we'd expand the text today in such a way that each one of us will be absolutely gripped um, with the God-centered realities of, of Paul's request. That, that we'd be able to, to, to lay hold of what Paul's praying and lay hold of the, the spiritual realities in such a way that we're absolutely gripped by them. Um, and secondly, that, that because, um, so we've just come out of our, our uh, series of looking at our values, and we want to have this value of, of continually developing a culture of prayer and dependency. Um, and because we want to have that culture of prayer, always praying, always crying out, uh, that this should be a daily, all throughout the day uh, activity for each and every one of you. And because we want to develop that culture, that, that this prayer will, will, will kind of transform our prayer life into a more God-centered, um, a more Christ-exalting, a more like biblically marinated prayer life. Um, so, verse 14 and 15, let's jump in. Um, really, Paul has a bit of a preamble to this, to this prayer, and there's four parts to it. So if, if you're taking notes, the four parts is this. Firstly, he says, for this reason. Secondly, I bow my knees. Thirdly, before the Father. And fourthly, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So part one, for this reason. Um, so um, anytime you have a for or a so or a, a because of this or a therefore in Scripture, you need to hit the brakes, stop, don't read anymore, turn around and look back at what you've just read because it's really important. So for this reason, well, what is the reason? Um, he, he's about to go into this incredible prayer, but in order to, to properly understand, in order to properly uh, interpret this prayer, we have to ask the question, what is the reason? Okay, why, why, does he, why is he praying these things? Why has he been uh, writing and writing and all of a sudden he feels compelled to start praying here? Why is that? And I think the answer is, is, is quite simple. It's, it's the great truths that, of chapter two that he's just expounded to actually compel Paul to pray. So um, uh, you see how verse 14 starts with for this reason? Um, look at uh, verse 1 in chapter 3. It also says, for this reason. And a lot of scholars think that Paul started to, at the beginning of chapter 3, go into this prayer. And then he goes on this kind of like holy tangent, this holy rabbit hole, um, which I think is amazing. So um, Ephesians is, tends to be Paul's like, he's pumped. He's talking about like what the Lord's done for us. Um, he's, 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 he's on this kind of holy rant, and he starts to go into prayer, and then he goes back into the gospel. Look at the glorious mysteries of the gospel revealed. And then eventually in 14, he starts to unfold it all again. And, and for this reason, is, is he's, look, he's, he's thinking back to what he's explained in chapter 2. Okay? He's, he's just unfolded the glorious doctrine of grace. We went over this a few weeks ago, this magnificent grace that we've been shown so remember in, in, in verse one of chapter two, he says, you were dead, okay? You, you used to follow the course of the world. You used to follow the prince of the power of air, which is Satan. You used to be in your nature, children's of wrath. But then remember he says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, what did he do? He made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. This, this, he's unfolding the, the glorious good news, okay? He goes on, he says that we are now his workmanship, okay? We're created in Christ for good works, which God prepared, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And in chapter one, he calls this, he calls it the glorious grace. Okay, what glorious grace we've been shown. Paul's beginning to, I mentioned before in chapter two, verse Verse 1 to 10 is one big sentence. He's just like running on and running on and running on, talking about grace. And then in, in verse 11 to 22, he moves on to explain how magnificent it is for us to actually be the people of God. How magnificent this, this new life that we've been brought into is. He, he, said, so he said, once without hope, you were once separated from God. You were once enemies of God. But now you've, been, you've become his family that through Christ, you, you become sons and daughters of him, that we now experience intimacy with our new father. We ourselves are now the very household of God. We, we once separated, we're now the dwelling place of his spirit. Isn't that amazing? 
Paul's, Paul's going, and I know we talk about these things a lot. We've been in Ephesians loads, so it's a little bit, yeah, I've heard that. But these truths, when you really begin to understand them, should make your heart start to soar. And Paul's beginning to expound these truths, and his heart begins to soar. Um, and and it, it's with the glories of what God has done for him, for us. And the natural place for Paul to land here in, in verse 14 in chapter 3 is in prayer. And so when the truth of the gospel is expounded, when, when our eyes are actually opened to see what God has done for us in Christ, brought from death to life, okay, what God is doing us, doing in us through the Spirit, this, this should lead us to prayer. And because prayer is the way we actually digest, it's the way we meditate, it's the way we assimilate and begin to obey the truths uh, of, the, of the gospel that's been expounded, okay? So we don't just want to see it and understand it with our, with our eyes. We want to uh, consume it and make it part of our lives, and that's, how, that's what prayer does. It allows us to consume the truths. And Paul, um, all he's going to do in this prayer, he's going to pray that these magnificent truths that he's just unfolded will become uh, experiential realities for the people of God. They're truths, but I want them to become actually realities in your life. It says, for this reason, for what reason? The truths that I've just laid out, that you've been brought from death to life. It's that reason that he goes on to say, I bow my knees, which is the second part of the preamble. So um, in Jewish culture, there's, uh, there's a lot of different ways to pray, but the most common position for praying is standing. Um, it, it's the most common position, that, a posture that someone would, ta- would take when they were praying. Um, but Paul says, I bow my knees. Just significant. He's he's kneeling in prayer here. So there, all throughout the scripture, we see lots of different positions for praying. Okay, and 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 none of them are necessarily wrong. There's there's not necessarily a certain way that you have to be praying. And um, okay, so you can you can sit and pray and pray. We've done that today. Uh, you can lift your hands in prayer. You see times in scripture where where people actually bow in prayer or even fall flat on their faces. You have all these different positions of prayer, but Paul is saying that I'm kneeling. He's bowing on his knees. And, and what he's doing is he's giving this, this he's, it's a physical posture that actually reflects a spiritual reality. So he, he says, I'm, I'm actually, I'm on my knees, and what that means is I'm praying with humility. I'm praying with a sense of submission. So you cannot be on your knees before someone and not feel like you are submitting to them. He's praying with a sense of devotion, a sense of earnestness because he's on his knees. Have you ever experienced this before? Um, if, you've, if you've been walking with the Lord for long enough, if you've, if you've prayed for long enough, you've, you've probably noticed that there's times when, when just sitting and praying just doesn't capture the attitude of your heart enough. There's times when, when standing and praying just doesn't, just doesn't it's not sufficient there are times when, when kneeling or being flat on your face, this, this physical posture is meant to reflect what's actually going, inside, going on inside of your heart. Um, I experienced this uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, I, was in, I was up in the office on my own. Um, maybe it was because I was on my own, so I was, you know, you're less embarrassed when you're on your own. Um, but I got a call from, from Lucas, and it was the call to say, got my scan results back, and cancer hasn't spread. Um, the best news we had heard in weeks, and we had prayed for this, we had cried out to the Lord, and he had answered our prayer. So I got off the phone with him, and I had just a prayer of thank you, Lord, for, for allowing this cancer not to spread. And I was standing in the hallway, and it just, wasn't, it just wasn't good enough. What was going on in my heart was so much bigger than just standing and saying thanks. So I had to get down on my knees, get down on my face, and say thank you, Lord. There's times when you have to get on your face to pray properly. Uh, thirdly, he addresses his prayer to the Father. Um, Ephesians is one of the most like, Trinity-saturated uh, books in the Bible. So Father, Son, Spirit are just all throughout, the, throughout uh, these chapters. And, and Paul's saying that he's directing his prayer to the Father. So this is the God, the Father of the Son, Jesus, uh, th- this is the father who has adopted us into his family. 
This is he's the one who's identified that we actually have access back into. Um, in, in chapter, look at chapter 2, verse 18. Just how Trinitarian that verse is. It says, for through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, to the Father. All parts of the Trinity involved in, our, in bringing us back into the family of God. That's incredible. He's praying to the Father, and he says, in whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. What does that mean? It's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a tricky phrase um, uh, to get right. So uh, surely the, this means that the Lord is the creator of all. Okay, so he does have this authority over all flesh. But I think, um, it, just read the book of Ephesians. There's this emphasis on the fatherhood of God. This emphasis on his adoption of us, our, our belonging into his household. And, and so it seems it's best to, you could translate it like this, that from whom the whole family, okay, i.e. those who are redeemed in Christ, those who are adopted, those who belong in God's family. So, so to the Father, from this whole family in heaven and on earth is named. And I, I love that it says in heaven and on earth. Um, because I don't think Paul's talking about uh, angels and humans, all part of this kind of family of God. He's, he's talking about those who are in Christ Jesus, his adopted family. And so just think about uh, what we have in this room today. Um, a little bit smaller, 120 people. Um, over uh, on Hay Park, there's probably another 40 or 50 people. I don't know. I'm excited to see who showed up. Um, but... All throughout, um, so that's, uh, overall, we, we probably have about 225 people that, that are kind of regular uh, part of Village, and which is a very small, obviously, portion of the church as a whole. So all throughout today, this is Sunday, this is Lord's Day, millions and millions of people across the planet are, are gathering together to do what we're doing, to, to worship Jesus, to, to sit under his authority. But even, even, even that is just a, a small percentage of the church as a whole, okay? So, so um, where is the majority of the church? In heaven, okay? Finish the race, okay? They're, they're, the, the whole church, we're just a, a small percentage still on earth, still, still running the race. The majority of the church is, is in heaven, Okay, they're with the Lord. So Paul, when he's talking about the whole family on heaven, in, in heaven and on earth, he's including both the earth, the earthly church still on mission, and the church in heaven, finish the race. Two parts of one great family. One family in, in two places. For some reason, I find that so encouraging, that we're part of a, a royal family, one, one that, that spans uh, not, not, not just on earth and in time, but in heaven and on earth. He's saying, from whom the Father, that is, whom, all these people, the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. What does that mean? So when you are saved, you are, you are given a name, you are a Christian, okay? But, but what he's... What he's really meaning here is, is in, the, in the first century, this idea of to name someone or, or to be named, it was to, was to exercise dominion or authority over that person, okay? So, so when we come into the family of God, we take the Father's name. We, we are named by the Father. We, we become co-heirs of him, adopted into his family. And this simply means that, that we are now under the, the headship of the Father, we, we're, in, we're now members of his household. We, we are under his authority. We, are, we, are un, we live under his roof now. We're under his fatherhood. And this is a quote by Clint Arnold. He's a New Testament scholar. He says, The bestowing of a name and the reception of a name would suggest to the reader certain notions about power and authority. The act of, of granting a name signifies much more than the granting of a verbal symbol as a means of identification. It amounts to the exertion of power and the conveyance of authority. Conversely, the reception of a name constitutes the, the reception of authority and power. The, the Father gives you his name. Okay, that means you are, you are in his house now. Okay, you belong to him, but you are also being granted his power and his authority. 
The fact that this naming extends to the whole family in heaven and on earth stresses the expansive universal power of God, and it brings the hostile powers back into focus. This description of, uh, of the Father would then serve to provide further reassurance to the Ephesian church, okay, fearing the threat of hostile powers. In other words, it would be reassurance that God is indeed capable of fulfilling the results that are presently brought to him in prayer. Why? Because he's given you his name. Isn't that amazing? You are his now. You're adopted into his family. You are co-heirs with Christ. You are given his power, his authority, and he can, he can grant you anything he wishes, any prayer that you bring to him because he's given you his name. That's the preamble to Paul's prayer. And then Paul begins a petition. He asks God for something. And he starts in verse 16. He says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, he might, he might give you. So he, he's, there's two parts to his petition. He's asking uh, that you be strengthened, and he's also asking that Christ would dwell. Those are the two main things we're going to focus on. So, so Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you, he may give you. And Paul always has elements of praise and thanksgiving, okay? Uh, just read throughout his letters. He, he even offers thanksgiving and praise in chapter 1 here. In chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He even ends this prayer with a, doc, with a doxology. Doxology is just a, a word of praise. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So praise and thanksgiving are, are, are an intricate part of Paul's prayer. But notice that Paul begins this prayer with petition, okay? For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father, that according to the riches of his glory, he may give you something. I'm asking him to give you something. And a big part of prayer is this, isn't it? Asking God for stuff. Um, it's not all the prayer is, um, but it's a big part of it. Request, okay? Asking God for something. Um, and obviously, this can, this can be abused, okay? And um, you can begin to treat God like a, um, some sort of divine vending machine, or if you put in the right number of prayers or, or the right phrasing, the right formula, then, you, then you're going to get what you want, then you get what you ask for. Um, James even says that, that you ask, but you ask with wrong motives because you want to spend it on your own lust. There's a wrong way to ask for, ask for things. It can easily be, be abused, but I think it can easily be forgotten as well, or it can be easily be belittled. We'll ask something at the end. Um, why do you think it's so hard for us to pray? How many of you in this room would feel like you have a, your prayer life is great, okay? If you do, that's great. You're, you're allowed to feel that way. I'm proud of you. But I would say that most of us would say that we struggle with our prayer life. We, we want to pray more. I easily forget to pray. Why is that? And one of the reasons we find it so difficult to pray is because prayer is a demonstration of submission and dependence on God. When you go to God in prayer, there is need, that there are petitions that need to be met. And one of the reasons it's so difficult for us to be the people of consistent, biblical, faithful prayer, one of the reasons we've made it one of our core values here at Village is because in our hearts, we are autonomous, self-centered, self-sufficient people. Like every single one of us, if, if you're honest this morning, you'll see that the natural cry of my heart is me, okay? I want to be strong. I want to be uh, self-sufficient. And so one of the things about prayer that we often feel uncomfortable with is going to God with needs because we don't like being needy. We'd, we'd, we'd rather uh, serve God in a way that we get to add something to his glory, that we get to add, uh, bring something to the table, okay? We, we want to serve alongside him, we, okay? I have stuff, I have honor that I want to bring to him. I want to give it to him, I want to bestow glory and honor onto him, but it's, it's what I have to offer him. But that's not what the Bible tells us about ourselves at all, okay? The Bible teaches us that God does not need anything from us, 
Remember what Paul says in chapter two, he says, you were dead. A spiritual corpse has nothing to offer. You had nothing to offer him, he has everything to offer you. If anyone is in need, it's us. And if there's anything that reflects that need, it's going to God in prayer. So Paul's about, uh, prayer is about petition. Okay, we need from you, God. Um, and, and, and look at the, the standard by which Paul prays here. Okay, this is amazing. Uh, Lucas mentioned this in his call to worship a couple weeks ago. He says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you. Okay, so the standard by which uh, Paul asks God to give us, he's asking God for something, and the standard by which he's asking God to give, that he might grant, is that according to the riches of his glory. So when we talk about God's glory, what are we talking about? We're talking about his, his essence, okay? We're talking about uh, his, his attributes, his perfections, their, their radiance, the, the, the outshining brilliance of all that God is. Okay, his glory is limitless. There, there's no cap on it. There's no end to it. It's limitless. And Paul's saying, I'm going to pray that God will give you something, and I'm going to pray that, that he will give to you according to a certain standard. And the standard is going to be according to those limitless, un, un, unending, the riches of that glory. And do you see the difference between praying um, that and praying that God would give you something out of his glory? So, so which is better, that God would give according to the riches of his glory or God would give out of the riches of his glory? Um, here's, an, here's an example. Um, say, imagine I'm a billionaire, okay? Bill Gates, um, extremely, ex- extremely wealthy. There's really... There's really no end to, to wealth when you're, that, when you're that wealthy. You could spend uh, whatever you want a, a day, and he's, he's, it's just, he has so much money that he's never going to end. So I'm a billionaire, Bill Gates, that'd be great. Um, imagine uh, Nick is, is a poor man, okay? And he, he's got nothing to his name, and he comes to me, uh, a man of great wealth, and he comes to me in his rags, and he says, Sir, I, I, I hear that you are a man of great means, a man of great wealth, and I also hear that you are a man of tremendous generosity. Would you please give to me? Would you please help me with my daily needs? And I say to him, woe to you, you pitiful pauper. I'm going to give to you something out of my wealth. And that, that means that I could give him anything. I could give him a fiver, okay? And that would be me giving him something out of my wealth. But what if I say, Ah, you're a charming pauper. <laughs> you've, you've gripped my heart. Okay, and, and I, want to, I want to give to you, I want to set you up for life. And I, I'm not gonna give to you, to you out of my riches, I'm going to give to you according to my riches. All of a sudden, with that word change, the standard changes drastically. Okay, if I, if I give uh, something out of my riches, then, then all I'm doing is giving out of my abundance, which could be, I, I could give you a pound, I could give you uh, 10 pounds, I could give you a million pounds. But the minute I give according to my riches, all of a sudden the standard uh, changes and it's, I'm giving now co- something that's compatible with, with my wealth. It means that I turn him from a very poor man into a very, very wealthy man like me. So Paul never prays that the Father would give out of. He always prays that the, that the Father would give according to. Why? Because, because this God of infinite glory, this God of infinite glorious resources, Paul always prays that God would give according to that standard so that at the end of the prayer, he's going to, he's going to say, now to him who is able to, to do far more abundantly, far more exceedingly than all we ask or think, in other words, Paul, Paul is asking God to, to give to his people according to the measure of his boundless, infinite, glorious resources so that the people will never, ever lack. Okay, so what, what would you think if I, gave, uh, if I gave Nick a fiver, me being a billionaire? You'd think, no big deal. Like, I could give him a fiver. But if I bestow on him all he needs for the rest of his life, you'd say, ah, that's, that's a generous man. 
So, so when, when, when God is asked to give, he, he's asked to give according to the riches of his glory so that not only will he give according to his limitless resources, not only will, will we have no needs ever again, but he also, uh, he's, he's asked to do that so that in the end, he gives in such a way that he gets all the glory alone. Not us. Look what Paul actually prays for that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's the first part of the position, uh, of the petition. Paul, Paul prays that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. Quite Literally, we, you could translate this, empower them with power. So the question is, is, who needs to be strengthened with power? Who, who needs to be strengthened with God's might? Who, who needs to receive from God, according to the riches of his own glory, the power and might so that they are strengthened in their inner beings? It's, it's those who are discouraged. It's, it's those who are disheartened. It's those who are weak. Those who are failing those who are faint. Who is it that needs the power of God? Uh, that, who needs the strength in their inner being? It, it's those who recognize their own fundamental inherent weaknesses. It's, that's why it's so hard to pray sometimes, isn't it? We don't want to admit that. We, we very rarely recognize that weakness in ourselves outside of suffering and affliction and temptation. Isn't that true? Like if you're suffering right now, you're gonna recognize your weakness. I guarantee you Lucas recognizes his weakness right now. But if things are fine, it's so hard to recognize that because of that inner cry of self-sufficiency. But Paul is praying that God would come and strengthen with power those who are discouraged, those who are disheartened, those who are weak, those who are failing, those who feel like they can't go on, those who feel like they don't belong, those who feel like failures, those who, who feel like giving up, those who wonder if anything good can come out of life. Paul prays that, that these are the ones who would be strengthened with power, those who recognize their weakness, God strengthen those with power. And it's power through the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit is the agent of the power. He's the agent of strength. He's the one who comes to us as the very livening, the very breath of God. And so Paul's praying that God would strengthen us, and he'd do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, he, he, he's praying that the Spirit would come to us in a way that we are enlivened and revived and restored and strengthened. And all of a sudden, encouraged in our hearts and made strong. That's what Paul's praying for you this morning, so long ago. So the question is, how are you feeling? Does this prayer apply to you? Are you one who, who sees, who recognizes your own weakness? Do you feel your own weakness? Are you one who in, who in and of myself, I am weak, I am feeble? You might be thinking, my physical body feels strong, but my inner being is so weak, is so needy. This prayer is for you. Paul prays that we'd be strengthened through the Holy Spirit, and he prays that, we'd be, that that would happen in our inner being. When he, says, when he says the inner being or your inner man, that's, that's the center of your life. And God may strengthen you in the very, the very center of your being. God may strengthen you in the very center of your struggles. He'd strengthen you in the very center of your spiritual existence. So, so the admission here is my inner being, where I live, the, the, the center of my life, the very center of my struggles, the, the center of my spiritual existence, what I really am before God is weak. It lacks power. 
And if I'm going to be spiritually strong, if I'm going to be spiritually empowered, if I'm going to be spiritually transformed, then it must be as the Holy Spirit of power comes and strengthens me. How often do you feel that way? Once a month? Okay. You get paid and you start to you know, need funds by the end of the month. I need to get paid again. Come back and get, get paid again. Or maybe it's once a week, okay? Come to a gathering, fill up again. Throughout the week, it gets weaker and weaker. Come back again, fill up. Once a week kind of empowerment. The answer should be every single day. Every single moment. If that's your answer, then this prayer is for you. What we want is for you to stop, to recognize your weakness, and we pray that according to the riches of his glory, he would grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And quickly, as as we end, let's look at the second part of Paul's petition, because it's very, very important for us to understand why he prays for power. Okay, what's the power for? Not only that we'd be strengthened with power through the Spirit in our inner being, but also that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. So, I realize I said that in a way like that Christ would dwell. Christ would dwell in your hearts. Do you realize how big that is? How huge that is? For Christ to, to, to take up residency within your very heart, within your inner being. Okay, he says that Christ dwells in the hearts of his people by his spirit. And I hate talking about the Trinity because anything, anytime you do, you're just kind of tiptoeing on heresy. So hard to, to explain Trinity stuff. But I'm going to anyways. So, uh, so Jesus Christ is the God man, okay, he's, he's, the, he's the son, he's the second person of the Trinity, and he's seated where right now? He's seated at the, at the right hand of the Father, but Christ himself dwells in the hearts of his people by his Holy Spirit, okay? So remember what, what Jesus says in John 14, 16, when he's preparing his disciples, he says, I'm about to leave, and he says, I'm gonna go, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, The word for, for helper there is, is paraclete. It's another, another advocate, okay? Another, another comforter, another helper. Why do you think he prays for another helper? He, he prays for another one because Jesus is already that for us. Jesus is already our advocate. He's already our, our comforter. He's already our counselor, we're told, 1 John 2, 1. But he says, I'm gonna pray to the Father that he would give you another comforter of the very same kind. He's saying, all I'm going to do is pray that the Father will give you the Spirit who will come to you and will be to you like a surrogate Christ. Okay, this is why the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of the Spirit, uh, sorry, it's, it, the Holy Spirit is called uh, the Spirit of Jesus. Okay, Acts 16, 7, it's called the Spirit of God's Son. Okay, the Spirit of God is, is the Holy Spirit who is the Spirit of Christ who indwells our hearts. Isn't that incredible? And there's a, there's a couple different words uh, for dwell in the New Testament, but the word that Paul uses here is a permanent dwelling, a permanent re- residency. And I, I don't think in, at this point in his prayer he's talking about conversion, that the Lord would come and, and, and fill your heart, okay? Because he, he's writing to the Ephesians who, who, was, who were converted, okay? At the very beginning, uh, he says, to the saints who are, in, who, in, who are in Ephesus and are faithful to Christ Jesus, He's writing to the church. He's writing to them as Christians. He says, I've heard of, you, I've heard of the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. Uh, the dwelling that he's talking about in chapter three is, is, is more about sanctification. And Don Carson has this analogy of sanctification that I, I think is really helpful. He, um, he paints this picture of, of, of a young married couple uh, who get married and they, they pull together their resources and they purchase their very first home. Uh, but when they, when they go into the home, it, it's, it needs a lot of work. It's a total wreck, okay? Wallpaper falling off, the plumbing's a mess, the electrics need to be rewired. 
Um, Phil and Peggy aren't here this morning, but they've done this. They've, they, they got married, they pulled the resources, and they bought a house. Um, I was helping them move in. He's like, we're going to fix it up, so it's a, it needs a bit of work. And I walked in, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but it's their home. They, they move in, and they, they decide, we're going to fix this place up. And over the years, they begin to replace the wallpaper. They begin to, to, to redo the plumbing. They, they rewire the electrics. And it takes a great deal of work and time to restore it. But, at the, but in the end, they look around and they see the fruits of all their labor. And they see that it's a place that's appropriate for their dwelling. And this is what happens when we become Christians. Okay? When, when, when Christ, by his spirit, comes and, and takes up residency within us, he finds in us the moral equivalency of a house that's not suitable to live in, okay? But he sets about turning the, resident, the residence into a place that is appropriate for him, a home where he, he can look around and he sees all the fruits of his labor. He wants to take a residency in our hearts as we exercise faith in him, okay? When Christ moves in, he, he finds that, that equivalency of a fixer-upper, and it takes a great deal of power to change us. And that's why Paul is praying that we be strengthened with power. He asked God to, to strengthen us with power by his spirit in our inner being that Christ may genuine, genuinely take up residency within us, transforming us into a house that reflects Christ's own character. That's the whole point of the prayer is that Christ would be able to dwell appropriately and comfortably within us. That's what the power is for. And the result of this is that we would be rooted and grounded in love. We can get so caught up in like all the like theology of this. The, the point is that you would have love coming out of you. <laughs> Love is, is the natural and the necessary outcome of a living faith, and it's the fruit of Christ's work as in, um, in the Christian, okay? It's the result of sanctification. <laughs> and this kind of godliness leads to, to a greater understanding of God and his works, okay? We, he says that we would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, I love that. To know what surpasses knowledge. That's the sublime hope of the Christian. We get to know what surpasses knowledge. And the purpose of that knowledge ultimately is to be filled with all of his fullness, with the fullness of God. It's not about you. It's not about me. Okay? Do you see how it all begins with him? It all ends with him. Okay? He's the one who is rich in mercy, we're told. He's the one who loved us with the great love. He's the one that, that brought us from death to life. He's the one that we bow our knee to now. He's the one who strengthens us with power. He's the one who dwells in our hearts. He's the one who makes it possible to even understand his love. All of that is not to make you the better version of yourself. Okay? It's so you can be like him. It's so that you can be filled with his fullness. He says in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or even think, according to the power at work within us, what's it all for? To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's how he ends. Isn't that amazing? That's the goal of what we do here. That's the goal of what's happening over in Hay Park right now is to be transformed by power through the Holy Spirit in our inner being. Why? So that Christ may dwell in us, that Christ can, can take up residency within us. He can transform us into to his character, that we'd be able to, to, to be filled with his fullness. And that together, we'd be able to understand, we'd be able to, to, uh, to, to um, comprehend what's beyond comprehensible. His love. Let's stand and pray.
And we're going to end just like uh, we normally do, okay? Some things have changed for us. Some things are going to feel different. Um, but really nothing's changed. Um, God's the same. His love for us is the same. His calling on us is the same. This isn't about us. It's about him. Our short life, we're meant to be on mission. Together, to make more disciples, which that's what we're doing. It's going to be uncomfortable. But in it all, we remember that it's because of him. It's because of the price he's paid for us. That's how he's made us from, uh, from strangers and aliens into his family. We do this by uh, celebrating a meal together, by breaking bread, by dipping that bread into wine, to remember what he's done for us, that his body was destroyed for us, his blood was poured out for us. Close your eyes and, and, and let that sink in for another minute. Jesus, we thank you for the price that you've paid. It's so easy, Lord, to come in and, 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 and to sit in our blessed assurance that we thank you for and for things just to be normal. Lord, help us to realize what you've done for us, the grace that you've shown us. Don't let that become uh, casual to us, Lord. May that make our hearts sore like it did Paul's. May it lead us to prayer. May it lead us to praise. May it change us from the inside, God. Strengthen us with your power, Lord. We thank you for your, your, your body being broken. We thank you for your blood being shed for us. May we celebrate that now, Lord. We praise your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, just as we sing these last two songs, um, uh, there's going to be two people here. Um, come, tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the wine, um, celebrate with each other. Um, this is the best, the best meal you'll have this week. Um, should be the most joyous meal that you'll have this week. So, um, pray soon.